0: Courage is a theme that is helpful for you no matter where you are in life. Uh, If you're not a believer, you're not someone who's consciously trying to follow Jesus, but nonetheless, you're gathered with us this morning, I'll tell you courage is something that the more you have, uh, the better for you and the people around you. And you'll know this because life is filled with all kinds of things that stand in the way of doing what's right, and what it takes to move forward is courage. Wouldn't you agree that the more courage that good people had in our world, the better it would be, yes? Now add to that uh, the calling that many of you have embraced, which is to follow Jesus. Uh, While courage is helpful everywhere, it's absolutely indispensable for being a a disciple. You can't walk on the road that Jesus invites you to walk on unless you're courageous because it is a narrow road that that few walk on because it's challenging. But what the world needs and what you need personally is courage. Because as you grow in courage, then you will become the man and the woman that, that God himself is inviting you to be. And no matter how young you are or old you are, if you're following Jesus, courage will enable you to do that. And then secondly, for us as a church altogether, for Renaissance to do what God has in mind with this church, we need courage. And the more we have, the more we'll flourish in God's calling. And the way we're gonna learn about courage this morning is by observing a vow a promise which is made by a woman named Ruth. A vow is always an act of courage because to make and keep a promise takes exceptional inner strength and determination and decisiveness because when you make a promise, you are declaring something in the present about the future, even though you don't know what the future holds. You think about the nature of a promise. When a person makes a promise, they are saying something about what's coming down there even though they don't know the details of it, committing themselves to that future. The person whose vow we observe, Ruth, is a person of incredible courage. And we're gonna see that when we look at the story out of which her promise arises and into which her promise plunges her. And though the details of her story are going to be different than yours, we will learn from observing this promise of hers three very clear uh, lessons about courage that will help every one of us. Okay, the first lesson is about the origin of courage. We're going to discover where courage comes from. Someone in here this morning is desperately hoping that the person they love will finally become courageous, and this lesson, this first one's going to help you see where does courage come from? Maybe you're the person who here this morning is wishing that courage would finally originate in you. Uh, the first lesson we'll learn from observing this promise will help us see where courage comes from. That's the first. The second lesson is going to show us the impact of courage. And of course, courage has lots of different impacts. I've already alluded to many of them which are about you personally. That is, when you have courage, you can move forward. But, but this particular story we'll see shows the impact that courage in one person has on other people. If you imagine a very dry environment uh, where there's no life, but then a spark is initiated and it starts everything burning. Courage can be like that in a good way. It can set a light the passion that needs to be set alight in people who've become complacent. That's the second lesson we'll see, the impact. And then thirdly, we're gonna see something about the importance of courage. And this one goes beyond just what anyone might say about how important this virtue is. But for God's people, it would be hard to pick a virtue that seems to matter more in terms of importance for God's plan than courage. And we'll see that as well. And so, We'll get all of these lessons from the vow that I've mentioned already. And so I want to start by looking at that. If you have a Bible and you've brought it and you want to look on, if you'd find your way to the book of Ruth, and I'm going to read from the second half of verse 16 through 17. Uh, Here is the promise Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well. If even death parts me from you. If you've heard these words read aloud before, chances are you were at a wedding ceremony. If you do a Google search on the most popular Bible verses for weddings, you'll find that this passage here makes almost every one of the lists. The top 40 beautiful wedding Bible verses from Shutterfly. (laughs) The top 25 beautiful Bible verses for weddings from bestscripturereadings.com. 38 Bible verses about marriage and love from The Knot. It makes the lists because it's beautiful and it's stirring Because the vow itself is austere and imagining two people about to be married who are saying these promises to one another is deeply moving and inspiring and it's romantic as well. But all of this misses the point that really, rather than being an act of romance and and passionate affection and love, these words are actually an act of courage. Because when they were spoken, They were spoken from Ruth to a woman named Naomi, who was her mother-in-law. And bearing that in mind, well, it makes it a little weird as a wedding text. Uh, You can imagine the pastor standing up and the bride-to-be interrupting the pastor and saying, before we get on, can I invite my mother-in-law up? I have some (laughs) promises to make. That would not work. The promise made from Ruth to her mother-in-law represents an incredibly courageous decision on the part of one woman in relationship to another. A commitment to a future that will be binding on her if she keeps it. And the seriousness of the promise is clear in the end of the promise. She makes uh, this vow and then declares that she'll die uh, before she breaks the vow. And that if she were to break it before, and that God should do thus and so to me. And even more, that is an emphatic way of declaring her deep commitment before God to make this promise and see it all the way through. It's an act of tremendous courage because she doesn't really know what she's getting herself into. And anyone here who's made a vow, and maybe you, you've declared your faithfulness to Christ, you've said, I have become a follower of his, I promise to to believe and trust, and then you didn't know what you were getting into. Or maybe you made a vow when you promised to marry someone. And and then down the road, you look back and say, I had no idea what I was promising. Anyone? Yes? But here she makes this promise, and now there are three components in the promise, and each one of them is gonna match with one of our lessons, okay? Notice with me, please, that the three components of her vow, first of all, are a matter of place, Where you go, I will go. That's a promise about place. That's Ruth's promise to go wherever Naomi goes from now on. And that's a serious promise because she's not sure where the future is going to lead. But first, we'll learn from that part of her promise, place. Where you go, I will go. Secondly, look at the second part of the promise. Your people shall be my people. That's a promise about people. And Ruth makes this declaration because she knows that if I'm going to share another person's place, it means I'm going to have to do with that person's people from now on. And even though she's never met Naomi's people, she's willing to make the promise about being with her people as well. And then the third element, look at it, it's about God and your God, my God. And this is the most important element of her promise, but Ruth understands that if I promise to be in the same place as this person and accept her people, well, then it's going to mean that I also am going to accept her God. And Ruth makes that promise. And it is a tremendous act of courage. And each one of these three elements, place, people, and God will teach us each one of them a lesson about origin and about uh, impact and about importance. So let's take them one at a time and start with place. This is the promise from Ruth. I will go where you go, and we're gonna discover here a lesson about the origin of courage, where it comes from. Listen now, wherever you are in life right now, if you need some courage to begin growing in you, this is a lesson for you. Ruth promises to go wherever Naomi goes from now on, and that is a tremendous act of courage because of where Naomi is when the promise is made. It's not necessarily courageous to promise always to be with someone, especially if that someone always happens to be in a great place. Think of it for a moment. Have you ever met that opportunistic friend who always attaches himself to the person who's doing the best? That's not courageous, it's selfish. And if Ruth were looking at Naomi and she saw a person who was going from strength to strength and she said, I promise I'll always be with you, it might have been for her own sake. But the truth about the moment in which this promise was made is that it's impossible almost to imagine someone who was in a worse place than Naomi was. And yet Ruth promised to be exactly where she was right Then, if you're in a miserable place right now, you will be able to relate with Naomi. If you're not in a miserable place now, someday you will be, and I hope God brings this back to your memory. Here's where Naomi was when Ruth made this promise. She was walking on the road away from Moab, which was a country that she had come to about 15 years earlier, toward Bethlehem, the place where she grew up. She'd left Bethlehem 15 years earlier with her husband and two young sons. The reason they had to leave their homeland and come to Moab was because there was a famine in the land, and if they didn't leave home, they would have starved to death. And that is a picture right there. That's how the story of Ruth starts. It's a picture of a grievous loss. Have any of you had to move away from the place you loved because things got desperate there? Uh, Many of us can't even imagine this, but in her case, they had to flee A famine, that's how awful it was. And if you can imagine what it would be like to leave a beloved place to come to a miserable place, that's where the story of Naomi begins. And when she gets there, grief is added upon grief because when they arrive in Moab, in this new country, her husband unexpectedly dies. Some of you know what it's like to lose a spouse. Only someone who's lost a spouse can know what that's like. But that grief is added to the first grief for Naomi. Now, it's lightened a little bit when her sons find wives in Moab. Ruth and Orpah become the wives of of Naomi's sons. But as soon as they're married and she begins to hope for grandchildren, her hope is disappointed. Every day for 10 years long, no children come to either one of her daughter-in-laws. And for her, that would have been a grievous loss in that environment, value for women, was measured by how many sons they bore. And so imagine 10 years of a new disappointment every month for both daughter-in-law. That's another grief for Naomi. And at the end of those 10 years, before her sons ever produce children through their wives, both of her sons also die. And here I've told you this episode in just a few minutes, it would be impossible unless you've lived through the loss of not only a spouse, but your sons, your children, to imagine how grief-stricken Naomi could be. That is an unbearably dark place. Listen to me just for a minute. Put the story aside. All around us are people who are in grief like that. And and listen, we might wonder, what can a person who's in grief like that possibly do to have any hope? And, and, And if we're people of faith, we'll know God is the one who comes to people in their grief and helps. Have some of you experienced God's help in grief? Maybe grief can be lifted by God's presence, in Naomi's case. After this happens, she decides that the reason she's facing all of this grief, and these are her words, is that the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. The Lord has dealt harshly with me. The reason I'm empty, this is what Naomi says, is because the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. And she decides no longer to be called Naomi, which is a word that means pleasant, and asks instead to be called Mara, which in Hebrew means bitter. And that is the place where she is, in that grievous position of being hurt and and suffering pain and anguish and loss, and also believing that the reason is because God himself has abandoned her. That's where she is in the moment when Ruth, her daughter-in-law, makes the promise to be with her no matter where she goes from now on. Now can you see how outrageously courageous and selfless this act of Ruth's is? How selfless it would be to promise to the very person who's miserable and has lost faith that you're gonna stay with them no matter what. Do you see the courage in that? You know, this is an aside, by the way. This is precisely the the promise that God has made to us in Jesus, that no matter what we go through, No matter how grievous our lives become, that he'll be right there with us. Ruth, here in this moment, makes that promise to her mother-in-law. Why would she make it? Why could she possibly make this kind of promise? Where does that kind of courage come from? That's a question about the origin of courage. And let me say this as clearly as I can. It's our first lesson about courage. Where does it come from like this? The answer is, it is a miracle. Which means it comes from God. And let that sink in for a minute. If you've been trying harder than before to be courageous, stop trying so hard and ask God to give the miracle of courage to you. If you've got a person in your life who's always afraid and you wish that they would be courageous, stop trying to engineer courage for them and say to God, God, would you make the miracle of courage happen in this beloved friend of mine or my child or my spouse? Would you give them courage like you gave it to Ruth on the road between Bethlehem and Moab? Because it's a miracle that Ruth could possibly make this kind of promise. And so you must know that if you want this courage yourself or you wanna see it for someone else, start asking the only one who could possibly bring courage like this. Ask God to do it. And then you might say, well, how will God do it? And that's a great question because even in this story on the road, I think there's actually a picture of how God does this miracle. And it's actually because of something that Naomi says while they're walking on the road. Look at verse eight with me. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, this is when Ruth and Orpah were both there with her, go back each of you to your mother's house. Listen here, a little background. The reason that Orpah and Ruth are both going with their mother-in-law, Naomi, from their home in Moab all the way to Bethlehem is because they were legally required to. Once they married her sons, from now on, they belonged, in effect, to their mother-in-law, no matter how bad it got for her. But as she's walking along, and no doubt, the only hope she has is that these two young women can help her when she gets back to Bethlehem. While she's going along, she stops, and she looks at them and says, I free you from this obligation to accompany me. And do you know what that is? That's kindness. And one of the things that makes miracles happen in people's hearts is kindness. Did you hear that? And this is not extraordinary or heroic. It's just a simple act of benevolence from someone who's down and out towards someone else. And so if you think, maybe if everything was going my way, I'd have enough power to be kind to others. Nonsense. Even in your most miserable moment, you can turn and be kind and God can use that to bring about outrageous courage in someone's heart. It goes on. After telling them she can go, they can go, she adds, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Uh, My opinion, okay? It's just my opinion. I think it's when Naomi evokes the name of her God right there with her daughter-in-law and actually wishes that God would bless her daughter-in-law even though in this moment Naomi thinks God has cursed her. That is so selfless and so other-centered and so benevolent. I think that's how God made this miraculous act of kindness grow in Ruth's heart. Imagine it. You've seen someone who believes God's against me, but yet still she turns and wishes God's goodness on others. If you're in the bleakest place, you can still do that. You can still wish God's kindness on others. And I think the origin of, ki- of, of courage here, the, the ability to make this promise to be in the same place as her mother-in-law, comes because God uses kindness to do miraculous things. That's our first lesson. It's pretty good, isn't it? There's a second lesson. You ready for it? Okay, you are, so I'm gonna keep going. (laughs) The second part of the promise was about people. Not only did Ruth promise to be in the same place as her mother-in-law, but to be with the people that her mother-in-law would be with. And remember now, Naomi grew up in Bethlehem, so that's her people. Ruth didn't. Ruth was in Moab all her life. It's on the way to Bethlehem where she makes this promise. She doesn't know anybody in Bethlehem, but still she says, I'm not only going to be where you are, but I'm going to be with the people you are going to be with. As the two now, because Orpah goes back to Moab, as the two are making their way toward Bethlehem, the narrator of the book of Ruth introduces us to the first person, which is one of the people that Ruth made a promise about, even though she didn't know, who she'll meet when she gets to Bethlehem. And it's a man. And he's a man of valor, which means he's a good man, And he's a powerful man, but he uses his power in good ways, and his name is Boaz. Boaz happens to be a relative of Naomi's. Uh, But of course, Ruth doesn't know that. And Boaz also happens to be a landowner. He owns a field which grows barley, and all of this happens to be taking place at the time of the barley harvest. And when they arrive in Bethlehem, the first thing which Ruth does to care for her mother-in-law is to go into the fields to glean. And this was a convention in, in ancient Israel where poor people who didn't have any money at all and no hope and widows who also would have had no hope, they would go into the fields and on the edges, just on the edges of the fields and on the corners, they would be allowed to take what they could gather. Usually they'd get a handful or two in a day. And when Ruth goes out to glean, guess whose field she just happens to end up in. Any guesses? Boaz's. Do you think this is a series of sort of coincidences randomly? If you think that, let me tell you, the story wants us to understand that when a person makes a courageous vow about God, God is ready to honor that vow with his presence at each step. And she ends up in Boaz's field, and there she begins to glean. This is an act of courage on her part because The gleaning environment was a dangerous place. Workers who were paid to work didn't like uh, sort of freeloaders coming to take some grain. But Ruth ends up in Boaz's field, and here's how we're introduced to the man, Boaz. In chapter 2, verse 4, he comes into the field, and look at this. Just then, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. They answered, The Lord bless you. You must use your imagination. Here's a man, Boaz, who owns the field. He's in charge of all of the people who have come to work that day. He leaves the village or the city of Bethlehem to go out to the fields. And when he arrives, the first thing out of his mouth to his workers is the Lord be with you. That is, he takes upon his lips the name of his God and he expresses his wish to all of his workers that God himself would be with them on that day During work. How many of you work in an office where the first thing that happens when your boss comes in is, the Lord be with you? (laughs) Notice the response from the workers. The Lord bless you. Here are workers who are glad that they work for a man who wishes that God would be with them. And they wish God's blessing back upon him. It should not be something that is too high for us to wish for, that we can bring God into the places where we work. Of course, we have to be cautious and respectful, but that doesn't mean that the people who work for us, and some of you have people who work for you, shouldn't know that you are a person who wishes God's presence upon them. And if you do this, you'll notice that over time, they'll wish God's blessing upon you. This is what Ruth sees while she's in the field having followed through on this vow to be where her mother-in-law is, she sees this about the people that she's now become a part of. And what it does is it inspires her to another act of courage. This is gonna show us about the impact of courage. She goes away from the borders of the field where there was just a little bit of grain. And by the way, we know this, that in this day, the people of God, they had begun to follow the letter of the law that they should leave some grain for those who are gleaning without really following the spirit of the law. Do you know the difference between those two? The spirit of the law from God's people was, take care of the neediest because God himself loves every orphan and widow and cares deeply about them. And when his people neglect them, it breaks his heart and it it arouses his anger. But what had happened in this time is God's people had just begun to follow the letter of the law rather than the Spirit. So as long as there was one tiny row of grain, they could say, yeah, we did what we're supposed to do, even if it wasn't enough. But what Ruth does in this moment when she hears Boaz is she goes to the foreman and look at what she says to him. This is in verse 7. This is uh, Ruth to the foreman. Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the reaper's This is an extraordinary request because she's asking for something that no person who gleaned ever had the right to do. Listen to how it worked. In in the field in the morning, after Boaz met his workers, first he would send out the men who had their reapers. They were the first to go into the field and they were paid very highly. They would cut down all of the heads of grain and lie them in bundles. After they went and reaped, then a second set of workers went. They were the women who were paid to gather those those grains into bundles, and tie them up so that they could then later on be brought to the threshing floor. And only after those two steps could a gleaner hope to get any access, even to the margins. But what Ruth says is, I want you to let me get in right behind the reapers and go along and glean behind them. And this is an outrageous request which is going to test whether Boaz will choose to be, get this, as generous as as any person who wishes God's blessing on others should be. It's going to hurt his bottom line, and it's going to cause him to follow the spirit of God's law. And Ruth asks for that courageously, and the impact of her courage to insert herself. Listen, not for her own good. She wants to provide for her mother-in-law. And by the way, people in Bethlehem were already talking about Naomi and Ruth before they returned. And so word had spread, did you hear that there's a Moabite outsider? Listen now, immigrant who's coming into our people. And so people knew. And what they saw is here's someone who is extending herself and even risking asking for something this much just to help one of our own people. And the response that comes from Boaz is extraordinary. He says to her, you can walk right behind the reapers. Come on in. And then he says to his men, nobody touch her, because he knew as a widow, she was very vulnerable. In Hebrew, the word widow means silent one. It's actually a legal term, because if there was some kind of lawsuit that was brought up or crime that was committed, a widow was not allowed to speak for herself in court. Silent one. Nobody touch her, Boaz said to all of his workers. He let her drink from the workers' fountain All day long, at the end of the day, he came through, he said, you're gonna come to my table. He cooked and served her food along with others. There was so much that she had leftovers that she could bring home for her mother-in-law at the end of the day. And before she left, he gave her a a, a large bag and said, I want you to fill it up with grain. And she walked out of there with an epath of grain. Epath? (gasps) See, it doesn't strike you as a lot, right? Because what's an epaph, right? This is what an epaph is. A worker who was one of the reapers could hope to get one or two pounds of grain for his day of work. An epaph is 29 pounds of grain. And all of this is in the story to show us the impact of courage. And the impact of courage is twofold. It's brilliant. It leads to God's provision for this young widow for her mother-in-law uh, when, when a person is courageous and moves forward, it causes the blessing of God to come and, and, and provide what is needed. But not only that, it also pushes the people of God who from time to time can, come, can become complacent about doing what God's law requires of them to be even more obedient to the spirit of God's law than they would have been otherwise. That is, the courage of a young Moabite woman pushes Boaz and the people around around him to become even more godly than they would have otherwise been. And that's not too great a lesson for us to take for this second lesson, that the impact of, of the courage of God's people is that it causes people who were otherwise not necessarily going to be outrageously generous or kind to change the way they are in the world. Do you know that not only people out there, but even people in here, us as God's people, we need the impact of other people's courage to move us forward in kindness. Do you see that? Have you ever seen an act of courage change the people uh, that, are, that are the witnesses of it? Have you ever seen that? Uh, One one of the most powerful moments I've ever seen in which that happened happened when my five-year-old son, Duran, this is my oldest son who's adopted, was outrageously courageous and kind. This was in the year 2000. I had just lived through the end of a very difficult and short marriage. And, And the son who was born to us, Abraham, 19 days old at that time, he and his mom and Duran, they went down to Virginia. And and only people who live away from their children know how hard that is. Some of you know what it's like, right? So Christmas passed, I was alone. At Easter time, I had Duran visit me and my friend Vito and Monique, they knew how brokenhearted I was and so they invited me to come to Brooklyn and they said, why don't you come and have Easter dinner with us and we'll get an Easter basket together for your son and he can go uh, on an easter egg basket hunt does anyone remember doing that when you were a kid imagine doing that in beautiful carol gardens in an alleyway between the garbage cans and weeds <laughs> <laughs> vito and monique set this up for Duran. i sat back empty watching this happen i was like naomi by the way in those days thinking that the hand of the almighty was against me and that's why i'm so bleak and alone but they made this Easter basket for Duran. We came in after he brought it in, and he said to me, uh, "Dad, can I have some candy?" I said, "Not until you finish your dinner." And, and then the dinner was set, and Monique was in like this organic vegetable phase at that time. Every five-year-old loves that phase, right? He didn't touch even one morsel of his meal. And I said to him all along, "You can't have any of that candy if you won't eat your dinner." And he said, "I'm not feeling well, I'm not hungry." And so he didn't eat his dinner. I carried his Easter basket as we left and got onto the subway. And, and you know, those five-year-olds love the subway, right? As we got on and sat down, he watched with excitement as the door opened and new people would come in and off. And here's where the story got really awful. At the third stop on the subway, there was a little girl who stepped on and she was about my son's age, looking down at the floor and she was like that. And then a, a woman came in behind her aggressively and smacked her on the back of the head. And the girl did something like that. And the woman said, I should have left you at the last stop. You are worthless. Sit down. The girl went and sat down emotionless. And, and I and just about everybody else on the subway car, we just looked down at the floor because it was too uncomfortable. The mom said, You are useless. And we all just sat there staring. Now the doors closed, we started going. And Duran said to me, and he said it loud enough for everybody to hear, Dad, can I have my Easter basket? And I said to him, and I wanted to be a good father in this moment, you didn't eat your vegetables, you can't have it. And then he said, I don't want it for me. I want to give it to that girl. He grabbed it and he stood up, he walked right over and he set it on her lap. And that is an act of courage from a five-year-old to stand up to something that is awful. And listen now, we don't know what that mom was going through. Maybe some of us, God help us, will be in moments where that's all we can do as parents, who knows. But what I do know is that in that moment, the light of God's grace and love in a gentle and an unobtrusive way came through a five-year-old who had nothing but a a little basket of candy to give. And the impact of his courage in that moment, I'm sure, was hard to overestimate. For me, it surely was. And for other people who've heard this story, it has been. And the lesson here, just as the lesson from Ruth and her courage, is that when we are courageous, What we do is we invite the people of God, even the people who are already following him, to be more courageous and more gracious and more kind. And we ourselves are prone, if anything, to underestimate the impact of our courage. And so you listen now. Whatever subway car you find yourself in, where what's needed is an act of kindness, but it will only happen if you're courageous, here in this moment, you ask God for the miracle of courage to begin to originate in your heart like it did in Ruth's heart on that road and then for God's power to enable you to be courageous and watch the impact that God brings through it. In Ruth's case, the impact is not only that she awakens Boaz to greater courage than he otherwise might have had, but the impact even extends all the way to God's plan. And this is the third part of her promise, the part about God. You'll remember that that Ruth promised to go where Naomi went and to be with Naomi's people, but also to have the God that Naomi had from now on. And, and now, early on, she's just now learning about this God, but what she discovers after the act of un- unbelievable generosity that is evoked from Boaz, when she's back at the table with Naomi, that's when Naomi says, you know, Boaz is a relative of mine. And that means that he has accepted a responsibility as my kin to redeeming this loss that we've lived through because there's been no sons to carry on our name. And so she says to Ruth, you know that you are going to go now and remind him of his responsibility as one of God's people to accept the role of redeeming us from this loss by providing a child for us. Here's where the book gets romantic. And I'm gonna let you read the rest of it on your own. It's, it's a very short book. It'll take you 20 minutes to read. But it's beautiful what Ruth does and how courageous she is and how forward she is with a man to initiate and then to carry through uh, this responsibility of his to provide her with a descendant. And here we learn, as we look at what God does, about the last bit, the importance of courage, uh, because as a result of Ruth's determination to go to Boaz and to invite him to accept responsibility uh, for his role as the kinsman redeemer, what happens is the two uh, they they become mom and dad to a child, to a son, and they name that son Obed, which means worshiper in Hebrew. I think they named that son Obed worshiper because both of them grew to see that the God who responds to our courage is faithful and deserves to be worshipped. Obed, Obed has a son and that son's name is Jesse. And then Jesse also has a son and I want you to see in the book of Matthew who Jesse's son is. Look with me at the importance of courage when we go forward to the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is Matthew's way of saying the story I'm gonna share with you about the savior Jesus, who is the savior of the world, the savior of every man and woman who like all of us in here are invited to put their faith in Jesus, they will be saved. Where did he come from? The author begins by unfolding the genealogy. In verse five, he gets to this. Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Pause there for a minute. Boaz, the man that we meet in Ruth, his mom was Rahab. If you were here two weeks ago, you heard me talk about the courage of Rahab. Do you remember that? Rahab gives birth to a son and it's Boaz. That means his mom was a woman of courage. And I bet he learned courage from her. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. There's our story. Ruth and Boaz together have a child who worships God, Obed. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David is the king who wrote most of the book of Psalms, whose son gave us the book of Proverbs for the most part, who was the king of Israel at a critical moment in that Uh, nation's history and who received a promise from God himself that one day Messiah would come through David's lineage and without Ruth that promise would have come about in a different way but here we see that God's honor honors courage by uh, showing us just how important it is that through the courage of Ruth comes the lineage of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for the faithfulness of God and the courage of an ordinary person like Ruth. What will you do with this? I pray that it will inspire you to seek the origin of courage in God, acknowledge the impact of courage wherever you find yourself, and then to be driven by the importance of courage because of God's grace and faithfulness to bring about miraculous things through the ordinary steps that we take like Ruth did. Let's join our hearts now in prayer, asking God, to make us courageous. God, we praise you for the beautiful gift of your holy word in scripture. We thank you that in the New Testaments and the Old Testament as well, that you are faithful to declare your word to us for the beautiful and brilliant story of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, and the good man, Boaz. We thank you because this story helps us see how we ourselves are invited into your story to be men and women of courage, no matter how young or old, so that we can move forward trusting you and being people of kindness so that you can use us to change the world which is in such desperate need now as it always has been of your transforming, miraculous power. God, we ask that this inspiring time would build us up so that we follow you more faithfully, so that we love Jesus and serve him more concretely in this world. And then we ask that you would use that to build kindness and courage in others and draw people to you. We want you to use us to bring others into your loving grace and salvation. God, thank you for Renaissance Church for what a gift it is to us. Help each of us find our place in this church and help us all grow together as a church of courage and the church of kindness, and then use us to, to impact this world which you love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.